Hi, listeners. With the Halloween season upon us, Female Criminals is summoning four terrifying stories sure to keep you up at night. It's a four-part series we're calling Women Who Haunt Us. Enjoy part one today and join us throughout October to hear the rest. Picture this. You're driving through a small beachside town in New Hampshire, one with all the hallmarks of a proud history. You pass a traditional village green, complete with memorials, centuries-old houses with whitewashed walls and stone chimneys. Because it's October, there are pumpkins on every porch step. Flickering candles illuminate the garish faces carved into their flesh. As you pull into the parking lot of a quaint inn, a few of the streetlights sputter on, throwing new shadows across the leaf-strewn street. A not-quite-cold breeze swirls around you as you walk towards the lobby to check in, and you wrap your cardigan a little tighter. It's a perfect fall night, but you can't help but feel a slight chill. There's something about this place that just feels off. You walk up to the innkeeper and give him your name. They're friendly, eager to make small talk. No, you're not from around here, you say, just in town for a couple of days. When they hand you your room key, they also grab a handful of leaflets about popular sites and scribble down the names of the best restaurants, a consummate host. You thank them and turn, ready to freshen up after your long drive. But before you make it to the door, the innkeeper calls out to you. Just one more thing, they say. I wouldn't visit the museum at night. That's where Goody Cole's ghost hangs out. You just smile at them and head to your room, chuckling slightly. You've never been one for ghost stories. Then again, there's something about this place that just might make a believer out of you. Welcome to Women Who Haunt Us, presented by Female Criminals, a Spotify original from Parcast. Ordinarily on this show, I take you through the life and crimes of some of history's most notorious women. But seeing as it's spooky season, we're trying something a little different. This special four-part series is all about women who, rightly or wrongly, scare the bejesus out of people. Were they criminals? Sometimes. Do they live on as ghosts? Debatable. Do they haunt us to this day? Absolutely. Today we'll meet Eunice Cole, a 17th century woman who was accused of witchcraft and lived to tell the tale three times. We'll sift through her story and try to untangle fact from fiction and discuss the strange role she plays in New Hampshire history. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. If you're ever visiting New Hampshire and you're a superstitious sort of person, then you might want to check out the small town of Hampton. 
because depending on which stories you believe, the picturesque beachside hamlet is home to the ghost of Eunice Cole. Over the years, locals have reported seeing a woman capable of walking through walls and disappearing in the blink of an eye. There's an oddly shaped rock in the town's Founders Park, and people whisper that Eunice can be seen hanging around it. They say she's contemplating her makeshift gravestone, thinking about her life, maybe even wishing revenge on the town she called home. Just to be clear, all the accounts I've read about Goody Cole suggest that she isn't a violent sort of spirit, but she certainly seems disgruntled. You see, when she was alive some 350 years ago, Goody Cole was a witch. Everyone knows that. And of all her crimes, the most famous was the sinking of a ship in 1657. It was August 20th when a smallish boat sailed from the port of Hampton, bound for Boston about 50 miles south. Except the vessel barely made it out of the harbor before it met a fierce storm. In short order, the ocean swallowed the boat whole, eight people along with it. But of course, this was no ordinary tempest. See, as they sailed towards open waters, one of the passengers, a young woman, shouted an insult to Goody Cole, who was watching from her doorstep, which was not a good move. The witch was furious and uttered a simple curse that the boat's passengers would never make it home. The supposedly magical cause of the tragedy wasn't reported at the time, but almost 200 years later, poet John Greenleaf Whittier published The Wreck of Rivermouth, which changed the narrative forever. Before then, it seemed that the world had largely forgotten about Goody Cole, but now, if you type her name into a search engine, you'll find plenty of articles detailing her legendary status as New Hampshire's only convicted witch. Most of these reference her role in the shipwreck, as well as the sightings of her ghostly form. But although Whittier's poem was responsible for reviving interest in Eunice's ties to witchcraft, it's not the only reason people believe she haunts Hampton. Because if you go back further, there are reports that her neighbors were afraid of her for years. And when she died in 1680, the people of Hampton drove a stake through her grave and nailed a horseshoe to the wood, a classic good luck charm meant to prevent the old woman from rising up and summoning evil. But if you believe the ghost stories, then the ward didn't work. Now, I'm not one to say for sure whether there's any truth to these stories. Hauntings aren't really my area of expertise. What I am better equipped for is sorting through a woman's story, parsing out the vital parts, and helping you come to some kind of understanding about her. So what gives? If Eunice Cole's spirit is haunting Hampton, what made her such a restless ghost? Well, to answer that, we need to know more about who she was when she was alive. And at first glance, what we find might surprise you, because centuries before she became the subject of ghost stories, Eunice was, as far as anyone can tell, a fairly ordinary woman. But like each of the women we'll meet in this series, to some extent, she was emblematic of her context. 
For a number of reasons, there's a lot about Eunice's life that we just don't know. For starters, she lived in the 17th century, when literacy levels topped out at about 53%. So people keeping detailed records of day-to-day life wasn't that common. What's more, Eunice moved halfway around the world in her 40s, which makes it hard to follow records of her life from beginning to end. That huge upheaval came around 1637, when it's believed she was 47 years old. Eunice and her husband William were living in England as indentured servants for a man named Matthew Craddock, which basically meant they worked for free to pay back some kind of loan. Now, Craddock was an important figure in British politics at the time and helped establish the Massachusetts Bay Colony. Though he never visited North America, he was known to send people across the Atlantic to make the new settlement their home. Presumably, that's how and why Eunice and William Cole ended up starting over so late in life. According to historians, the couple promised to pay Craddock 10 pounds to basically buy out their contract, which left them free to make a new home for themselves in New England. But as you might imagine, life wasn't easy. William struggled to make ends meet as a carpenter, and Eunice had troubles of her own. Her main problem was that no one liked her much. By all accounts, she was a pretty difficult person to be around, but we should probably take that with a grain of salt, given that this was the 1600s and standards for behavior were rigid. Part of that came from the defining religious movement of the region at the time, Puritanism. Convinced that other forms of Christianity were too concerned with ceremony and ritual, the Puritans took things back to the buttoned-up basics. But that was only the start because these people lived in a state of near-constant anxiety about whether they would be offered salvation when they died. Hence the stifling modesty, the judgmental preaching, and the inflexible moral code. They also believed that Satan was just as present in the world as God, and that proof of that came in the form of sin. Disobeying the word of God made you a follower of the devil, or in simplest terms, a witch. But before your imagination runs away with you, I want to correct some misconceptions you might have about exactly what that meant. Because back then, the idea of witchcraft was far more mundane than it is today. There weren't any bubbling cauldrons or flying broomsticks, no spell books or magic wands, just ordinary people out of step with their community. In his book, Witch Hunting in 17th Century New England, historian David D. Hall writes that the term witch functioned as a label people used to control or punish someone. And I want to take a second to break that idea down a little further. First, there's the idea of control. According to Hall, women were more likely to be accused of being a witch than men, at a rate of around four to one. And the disparity didn't end there women were also more likely to face trial and be convicted and received harsher sentences. As for why that was, I'm sure you can guess. But in case it's not already abundantly clear, just think about the amount of power men wielded at the time. It's not controversial to consider witch hunting as a way men could assert their authority over women at a time when they were testing those constraints. And witch hunting was a way to punish the women who had the audacity to push those boundaries, even if it was something they didn't do on purpose. Intent hardly mattered. It was all about perception. Break the agreed rules? Witch. Gain a measure of success that your neighbor didn't? Witch. 
live a childless life? Which? But sometimes the only rule a woman had to break was not being likable. Hall explains that accusations of witchcraft were usually the result of relationships charged with suspicion, anger, and revenge. And although we don't know much about Eunice Cole's first 15 or so years in New England, it's clear that she made the people of Hampton suspicious, angry, and vengeful, because they accused her of witchcraft on three separate occasions. What on earth did she do to draw such ire from her neighbors? And was there any truth to the claim that Goody Cole was a witch? We'll look at that next. The floorboards creak. The walls, they moan. The house seems vacant, but you're not alone. This October, Parcast invites you to celebrate the spookiness of the Halloween season with all new episodes of Haunted Places. From an infamous murder farm in Indiana to the ghostly tombs and palaces of ancient Egypt, visit the world's most haunted destinations and find out what happens when a soul leaves the body but doesn't leave the grounds. Enjoy new episodes of Haunted Places all month long, free, and only on Spotify. Now back to the story. In the 1600s, being accused of witchcraft was practically a death sentence. All it took was one person to suspect you of being in cahoots with the devil for your entire life to change, and possibly end. But Eunice Cole wasn't tried for witchcraft just once. She was charged three times, and she avoided a grisly execution each time, which is remarkable. It's also a mark of how much her community feared her that they kept trying to get rid of her. So how did this middle-aged woman go from struggling settler to widely hated to alleged witch? Well, we know that before her first trial for witchcraft, Eunice had been in and out of the courts since the 1640s, though what she was charged with, I can't say. If we knew, it might help paint a fuller picture of her character. But based on our research, things are much easier to follow from 1656. That was the year Goody Cole was first accused of witchcraft. Exactly who first pointed their finger isn't clear, but a number of Hampton locals testified against her. Of these, two men told a story about Eunice asking the town selectmen for help acquiring wood or other supplies. Given that she was in her mid-60s at the time, it wasn't an unreasonable ask, but people just didn't like Eunice, so no one helped her, using the excuse that she had an estate of her own so she should be fine. When she pointed out that the town had helped a well-liked man recently, they dismissed her. A few days later, that same man lost a cow and a sheep. According to the testimony, a neighbor told Eunice that it was God's way of punishing the man for his lack of charity. Eunice, probably feeling feisty, replied, No, twas the devil did it. Between you and me, that wasn't her finest moment. Invoking the devil was not the smartest move in Puritan New England, so it's hardly surprising that someone tattled. But there was plenty more, quote-unquote, evidence against her. There was Thomas Philbrick, who said that Eunice threatened his cows if they ate the grass on her property. Sure enough, after the animals sampled the delights from Shea Cole, one of Thomas's cows vanished. 
and another died about a week after. Also taking the stand was Mary Coleman, who reported that Goody Cole told her the details of a private conversation between another married couple. In short, Eunice had dared to gossip. But it was a black mark against her name, as smoking a gun as there could be when it came to devil worship. And finally, there was the witch's mark. Several witnesses reported seeing something like a sore on Eunice's body, though that doesn't sound incriminating to you or I. It was a big deal because it was thought that the devil used his claws to mark anyone who made a bargain with him. There was also a general belief that witches had extra teats on which their animal familiars suckled. In reality, though, these marks were things like birthmarks, skin tags, warts, or everyday scrapes. But they were considered strong evidence of witchcraft. And after all the evidence was put forward, the court declared Eunice Cole, well, we don't actually know. Many historians assumed she was found guilty, but John Demos, who wrote Entertaining Satan, Witchcraft and the Culture of Early New England, believes that she probably wasn't. Because in contrast to the horrific stories of witch executions in Europe and Salem, Eunice wasn't put to death. The law of the land was that witches had to die, but she was sentenced to a public whipping followed by a period of time in jail. Still, that wasn't the sum total of her punishment, just the extent of the official one. And here's where some more ill will towards Eunice was born. Her husband, William, left their 40-acre property to a neighbor when he died. So when Eunice was released from prison, she had nothing left. In the end, it was decreed that the Hampton community had to take care of her. And no one was ecstatic about that. Still, they did as they were told and built her a primitive hut on the village green, presumably so no one had to travel far to bring her supplies. Not that they had to worry about that for long. The supposed witch was back in jail soon enough, having been convicted of slander. According to testimony, she called another woman in town a... Well, I won't repeat it here. Suffice it to say, Eunice was just as cantankerous as she'd ever been. But despite her prickly nature, they couldn't keep her behind bars for that one incident. Not forever, anyway. She was eventually granted her freedom and returned to Hampton, only to be accused of witchcraft again in 1673. And this time, it seems like Goody Cole was definitely in the wrong. Unlike her first charge, the accounts of what happened to Anne Smith all seem roughly the same, though they came from members of her extended family, so proceed with skepticism. The story goes that at some stage, Eunice tried to entice 10-year-old Anne to live with her. Presumably she wanted some help around the house, or maybe just some company. She'd never had children of her own. But when young Anne refused, Eunice got violent. She allegedly picked up a rock and hit the girl in the face, drawing blood. The testimonies kind of go off the rails after that, though. Anne herself claimed that after Eunice hit her, the old woman turned into a dog to run up a tree, where she became an eagle and flew away. Still, the transfiguration part aside, it seemed like there was a pretty solid case against Eunice. 
You see, a guy named Robert Smith told the court that Eunice had placed some kind of curse on his oven so that any bread baked in it didn't cook properly and smelled bad like rotten cheese. Then when Robert and his wife used their daughter's oven, the same thing happened. In the end, they were so traumatized that they resolved never to bake with anyone again for fear of spreading the bread curse. And to be honest, I don't really know what could have been going on there, but Eunice was blamed for whatever it was, along with a host of other charges. She made people fall ill. She had animal familiars. She might have caused the death of an infant. None of it looked good in the eyes of the court, but still she was declared innocent of witchcraft, if highly suspicious because of her, quote, familiarity with the devil. By that stage, the poor woman was destitute in her 80s and all alone. Still, her neighbors really had it out for her, likely because they were responsible for her care. The families had to take turns supplying her with food and firewood, which was probably a drain on their own resources, one made all the more frustrating by the fact that Eunice just didn't seem inclined to die. So, possibly seeking to punish her for her continued existence and generally disagreeable demeanor, they brought charges of witchcraft against her for the third time in 1680. And once again, the court couldn't find her guilty. Instead, they declared her suspicious and ordered her to be kept in prison with a shackle around her leg. Which seems like a perfectly reasonable way to treat someone approaching 90. However, the now infamous Goody Cole was allowed to return to her small cottage in Hampton that same year, still under the care of her spiteful neighbors. Much to their relief, though, Eunice died shortly after she returned home. That October, some locals noticed that they hadn't seen her for a few days. They found her body in her tiny hut on the village green and spread the news. And like I mentioned earlier, they weren't altogether respectful about burying the late Goody Cole. The story goes that they threw her into a hastily dug grave, attached a horseshoe to a stake, and drove it through the earth as a kind of ward to stop her from coming back to torment them. That's her taken care of, they probably thought. Just, you know, in slightly weirder words. English was weird back then. But you and I know that even though Eunice Cole's life had come to an end, her story was far from over. Up next, the prolonged afterlife of Goody Cole, New Hampshire's most famous witch. Now back to the story. After Eunice Cole died, the memory of her lingered. Of course, not in the loving way you or I might think about a relative who's passed on. No, the people of Hampton still feared their very own witch long after they drove a stake through her body. Just like with the story of her life, tracing the path of Goody Cole's legacy is difficult. While she was alive, she'd been accused of ruining her neighbor's bread, trying to abduct a young girl, and making people ill. They said she had animal familiars and that she could turn into an animal herself. They were so afraid of her and or carried so much spite towards her that they had her chained in a prison cell when she was in her 80s. So although we don't have any records to track exactly how her legend grew, we can guess that the seeds were that fear and malice. 
I'm guessing that the people who helped bury Eunice told the story to their families, their words tinged with revulsion. Parents walking past the makeshift grave might have pointed it out to their children, warning them of what happened to those who strayed from a godly path. As the years slipped by, whatever truth there once was in the story was probably replaced by embellished rumors and the 18th century equivalent of campfire stories. As John Demos put it, like Sabbath services and barn raisings, Goody Cole's witchcraft had become a local institution. For over a century, Goody Cole's story was passed down orally, and at some point she transitioned from the everyday kind of wicked that made Puritan's legs turn to jelly into the mythic evil that transcends time. We know that because around 1840, a Hampton local wrote about Eunice. The fear of her name would alarm the most courageous or subdue the worst temper from generation to generation. This was about 160 years after the alleged witch died, and the people of New Hampshire were still trading stories about her. Exactly what it was that they said is largely a mystery, but the poet John Greenleaf Whittier left us some helpful clues. Earlier, I mentioned Whittier's poem, The Wreck of Rivermouth, the one where Goody Cole caused a boatload of people to be swallowed up by a storm. Well, now it's time to get to the truth of the matter. Because the fact is that the tragedy did actually happen. It just had nothing to do with witchcraft. How the poet connected Eunice to the capsized ship isn't clear, though. Not being a Hampton local himself, he apparently heard the story from a friend sometime in the 1860s. It's possible that Goody Cole was already a part of the tale by then. We all know how hard rumors are to quash. Or maybe Whittier took some artistic license with history and added the witch to give his poem more depth. I want to point out that he also gave Eunice some depth of her own. In the poem, she's almost certainly the cause for the deadly storm, but she also weeps when she realizes what she's done and begs for forgiveness. But no one ever talks about that. Type Goody Cole into any search engine and you'll find countless pages detailing her supposed involvement in the tragedy. Everyone seems keen to play up the spooky witch vibes and less interested in talking about the way a woman was unjustly persecuted by her community. In the years after Whittier published his poems about Eunice, his version of events seems to have become the official story. American writer Charles M. Skinner even considered Whittier's take to be the most compelling one. In his 1896 book, Myths and Legends of Our Own Land, Skinner regurgitated the story of the shipwreck, as well as another tale the poet wrote about a woman accusing Eunice of replacing her baby with a changeling. Over 200 years after she died, Goody Cole's witchcraft had passed into the realm of the mythic. And that's kind of how it stayed throughout the centuries, people focusing on the rumors and wild accusations, and only sometimes including a footnote about the true story. But eventually, there was a shift in the narrative. Because even though the prevailing story has long been that Eunice was a witch of fearsome power, her hometown has tried to change that perception. At least a little. Just under a century ago, Hampton went from a town practically built around the idea that Goody Cole was an evil witch to a town that, well, 
profited off her. It went like this. In 1937, a group of Hampton locals petitioned a judge to clear Eunice's name. The very next year, on March 8th, a meeting marked the town's 300th anniversary, and it was declared, We, the citizens of Hampton, do hereby declare that Eunice Cole was unjustly accused of witchcraft and familiarity with the devil, and we do hereby restore her rightful place as a citizen of the town of Hampton. Later that year, the town held a ceremony to burn copies of the documents accusing Eunice of witchcraft. Then came the merchandise. That summer, the town made and sold Goody Cole dolls, complete with moving arms and legs and the face of, quote, a very pleasant elderly lady. And that's something I take issue with, because if there's one thing that most historians seem to agree on, it's that Eunice Cole was not in any way a pleasant woman. She had a hard life. She struggled, she swore, she complained, and she didn't have many friends. But when they cleared her name, the well-meaning people of Hampton recast her as a kindly grandmother type. That speaks to an issue that's gonna come up again in this Halloween series. The idea that women can only exist in one extreme or the other. If they don't meet society's expectations for what the ideal woman is, they're often designated evil with no room left for nuance. In this case, Eunice was deemed a witch, likely because of her bad temperament. But when the community tried to right that wrong, they shifted the narrative too far. When we consider the stories of women who've been maligned and mistreated, it's a good idea to hold space for truths that might seem incompatible. Eunice Cole was not a witch. That doesn't have to mean that she was a nice person. Unfortunately, like when she was alive, the truth about Goody Cole wasn't all that important to her story. So as Hampton settled into a new era, the stories they told about her evolved. Gone were the whispers of her terrifying power in life, replaced by urban legends about her benign nature in death. She was quiet, those who saw her reported. She would ask where some of the town's original settlers were. She'd accept invitations to enjoy a glass of lemonade. All pretty harmless stuff. About the scariest thing Eunice's ghost was ever said to do was to walk through a closed screen door. Though, depending on which story you heard, she was a little disgruntled. At least once in the 1950s, she asked about the town's Goody Cole Memorial in the Village Green, but there was no such memorial. However, after one was installed in 1963, the stories about Eunice's ghost seem to have petered out. Some people claim to have seen a woman in colonial dress wandering the grounds of the museum housing her memorial, but that's about it. Maybe her spirit just wanted a final resting place, like all of her neighbors got. They weren't nice people either, but at least she was upfront about it. So at the end of it all, what does the legacy of Goody Cole boil down to? Well, if the stories are anything to go by, then she's a mysterious ghost who may or may not have been a witch. And we saw exactly how that happened, right? If you read the testimony against Eunice, it's all just so dramatic. Familiarity with the devil this, fail at your peril that. 
taken at face value, there's an aspect of God-fearing superstition over all of it, which tracks with what we know about the Puritans. All that to say, I'm not that surprised that her memory's been largely reduced to a spooky colonial ghost witch. I'm actually shocked that there aren't more just like her. Her story was, unfortunately, a product of her time. Of course, so were her accusers. They were so influenced by their beliefs that the presence of Goody Cole in their midst threatened their own salvation, which was unacceptable. They just couldn't see, or maybe they didn't care, that their preoccupation with the afterlife ruled their actual lives and led them to ruin the lives of innocent people. But the delicious irony is that in the end, Goody Cole outlived them all. Thanks again for tuning in to Female Criminals. Join me next time for the second episode of our special Halloween series, when we'll head to the California Gold Rush to meet a woman who was so successful that society felt compelled to tear her down. You can find all episodes of Female Criminals and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Female Criminals is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Jaron Cohen, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Nick Johnson, Trent Williamson, and Carly Madden. This episode of Female Criminals was written by Joel Callen, edited by Kate Gallagher, fact-checked by Bennett Logan, researched by Mickey Taylor and Chelsea Wood, and produced by Bruce Kitovich. I'm Vanessa Richardson.